Well, I want to jump into the Word, because I know God, He gave me this message about two, two and a half weeks ago, and I heard about some of the things that some people have gone through, and it was so neat, because sometimes it's cool when God gives you something, and then you start to hear about some of the things others are going through, and you go, wow, God actually ordained this message for this day at this time, even before you got into your situation. Isn't that awesome how big and awesome and incredible God is? It was the 700s B.C., and surrounding kings began to besiege the land of the king of Judah. The nation of Israel had become a divided kingdom uh, just about 250 years earlier from this time. And so there was a northern kingdom, and then there was a southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom was Israel, and the southern kingdom was Judah. And so at that time, nations were gathering and trying to destroy Judah and trying to take them over, and, and they were unsuccessful. But even in the process of this, they had lost 120,000 men and warriors. And so there was definitely a, an impact that was being felt by Judah, but they were with, able to withstand. Well, then they reach a point where Israel and Syria... They join together, these two nations, and they decide that they're going to go to Judah, the southern kingdom, and they're going to, to attack and, and take over that southern kingdom. And so at this time, they, the king of Judah was King Ahaz, and Judah's cities were being plundered, and many Judean city, uh, citizens were being taken captive. And so Ahaz now is starting to feel the pinch. He's He's starting to stress. He's, he's living in fear and anxiety. He knows that we lost 120,000. We can't keep going, especially now if nations are banding together and come again. We, we, can't, we can't do this forever. And so Isaiah, the prophet of God at that time, God sends Isaiah into Ahaz and gives him a word. I'm thankful that when we hit rough times that God sometimes, he still, he still gives us a, a word when we need it. And Isaiah 7, 4 says, tell him, Isaiah, tell him to stop worrying. Tell him he doesn't need to fear the fierce anger of those two burned out embers, King Rezin of Syria and Pekah, son of Ramalia. You know, you think of a, a fireplace and this last, this last winter I was throwing fire, a, a log onto the fire and, and when you drop it in there, you, know, you hear that. Now it seems like they're all building the houses with the little switches. That's nice, but that ain't for me. Come on, I don't want a little switch with a little light, and then you can choose how high you want your flame. Like, I, I, want, I want to throw a fire in there here and, and feel the warmth and hear it and smell it. I want that. So I throw my, my log into the fire, but then it pops, and a little ember lands right here. I'll tell you what, that'll wake you up if you're tired. It'll burn a hole in your jeans, too. You land right there, and oh, whoo, but then it just, as fast as it hits you, it just went out. It's just enough to wake you up and say, hello, and burn a little hole, and then it's gone. And Isaiah comes in and says, King, you're worrying about two things that are burned out embers. They're here, they're here today, gone tomorrow. Don't even stress it. And so God is literally saying, don't worry. This morning, I want to preach on this topic. To whom? Will you turn? To whom will you turn? Would you pray? Lord, God, you are so awesome and so incredible. 
And we're so grateful for your word, Lord, because without your word, we'd be trying to navigate life by ourselves without any guidance, with any, any principles. And Lord, you've, you've given us so many different things, Lord Jesus, not only encouragement, but law and instruction, and, and you shared your plan, and, and you give us prophetic words. And Lord, we're so grateful for that. So God, your word, it doesn't need any help. It doesn't need anointing. It already is anointed. But God, we need your help. We need your strength. We need your anointing. So anoint me, Lord, as I deliver this now. Speak through me, but anoint every eye and every ear and every heart to receive it. Otherwise, we're just wasting our time here. Lord God, we need to be, our hearts need to be open and receptive, God, to what you want to say. So help us. And everyone said, amen. amen. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Sometimes it's great to just stop everything and remember this. The things that are scaring us right now and causing anxiety in our lives, they don't scare God. Anybody here have anything on your mind in the last 7 to 14 days that caused a little bit of stress, fear, anxiety, that you... What you're dealing with does not make God afraid. Isaiah goes into the court of King Ahaz and he tells the king, he says, you need to stop worrying. Isaiah 7, 7, but this is what the sovereign Lord says. The invasion will never happen. I don't know, my wife, she sometimes has a phrase that she says to me more than I wish that she needed to. It's not her fault, it's mine. And she'll say, Gary, don't borrow trouble. Have you ever said that yourself? Have you ever had that said to you? Don't borrow trouble. Meaning sometimes we start to stress about what's going to happen next week or what's going to happen in two months or what's going to happen in six months. You know, like don't borrow trouble. It might not even come to fruition. And here we are losing sleep and getting ulcers and stressing over things that may never even transpire. And so Isaiah walks in and he says, this is what God says, that invasion that you're so stressed about, it's not even going to happen. For Syria is no stronger than its capital, Damascus. And Damascus is no stronger than its king, Rezin. And for Israel, within 65 years, it will be crushed and completely destroyed. Talk about a clear word. Guess what happens when you fast forward in history? This is exactly what happens. Within a few years, the people they were afraid of, Israel and, and Syria, they're both gone. Damascus was cr completely crushed and destroyed by 732 BC, and Israel is completely gone by 722 BC. So here he is completely stressed out, and these two nations are gone just like God said they were going to be gone in just a short time. What's awesome is this, is God already has a plan there are things that are taking place in your life right now that are causing anxiety and fear and stress and worry, and God already has a plan for your future. He was, that's why he says, I'm the alpha and the omega, I'm the beginning and the ending, I'm the first and the last, I see everything in between. That's why he says, fear not, over and over and over and over and over and over again throughout scripture, because he looks at your life and he sees where you are now, he sees the path ahead, he wants to give you his spirit to help you navigate that path as you live, and he looks forward and says, I have all of this taken care of. But yet, what do we do? 
We go to God with prayers and go, God, do you not see me? Do you know what I'm struggling with today? You just, where are you, Lord? And we try to take things back that it's almost like sometimes we're like, you know what? I like to live in an element of stress. Kind of like people who are busy. We tell people how busy we are. It's like we, it's a badge. Like, I'm busier than you. You think you're busy. Let me tell you about my schedule. You think you have problems. Let me tell you about my problems. You think you have an injury. Let me tell you about my injury. And so God, he has this theme throughout scripture that just says this. Hey, I got this. But can you trust me? Check this out. We serve a God who has always chosen to work in covenants and signs. Look at just a few of the things in his word. He gives a rainbow with the flood. And Abraham, hey, your covenant by the sign of circumcision. He tells Moses, there's going to be a sign for the people, and they're going to serve me on this mountain. But before he calls Moses, he gives him a little magic show. You know, Moses, I can't go. I'm not, I'm not a, well, a good speaker. All right, take that staff, drop it on the ground, becomes a serpent. Pick that thing back up. And then he says, you know what, put your hand, oh, now you got leprosy. Oh, no, now you don't. And so he's giving them these signs that I'm with you. Don't worry about it. And then he says, Egypt, I'm going to deliver my people. Here's signs to you. I'm going to send plagues. And then he says, I'm dwell in the wilderness, and, and I'm going to put a cloud and a pillar to show that my, my spirit's in that tabernacle. And, and so he's just, the whole Bible's filled with how God says, here, I'm a God of covenant, I'm a God of promise, and, but here's the sign of the covenant, here's the sign of the promise. And then he says, in the New Testament, he says, I'm going to put my spirit in you, and guess what, though, I'm going to give you a sign uh, that you know that you're filled with my spirit, you're going to speak in other tongues. This is the God we serve. He's always a God of covenant, a God of signs. And so then he goes to Isaiah. He walks into King Ahaz, and God again wants to give a sign. He wants to show, hey, I am who I say I am. So Isaiah walks in, and he says, I want you to, to choose a sign. God wants you to choose a sign. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 10, the Lord sent this message. And as he says, ask the Lord your God for a sign of confirmation, Ahaz. Make it as difficult as you want. Could you even imagine this? If God shows up at your bedroom tonight and says, hey, I know you're going through something, but I want you to know I got this. Ask any sign in the whole world. Make it as hard as you can possibly make it and watch what I do. Could you imagine this? You, I mean, like, what would, you be, what would you be thinking, right? As I make this joke and I lose half the audience now, because the rest of the time you're going to be going, yeah, what would I be thinking? That's a, that's a good question. I, that's great. I, and I'm, I'm going to say the altars are open and you're still going to be on that question. But think about that, that, that this, this, this sign got, that God says, ask me for anything. And, and the king, he says, he says, as high as heaven or as deep as the place of the dead. But the king refused and said, no, I will not test the Lord like that. He's talking to God. God is asking him to ask a sign. And he tells God, I'm not going to test you like that, Lord. Trying to paint himself this picture of this spiritual giant that walks in faith. When the irony, the Bible, there's so much irony in the Bible. It, it, it kind of like when they, 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 they're literally about to crucify Jesus while they're celebrating the Passover lamb. 
He becomes the Passover lamb, but then they kill him. Like, the irony in Scripture. Here, here, you know why it's so ironic that he's going, I will not test the Lord because I'm a man of faith. This is the guy that was so afraid that you know what he does? And he, he looks and he says, wow, we're getting outnumbered. We lost 120,000 people. I'm freaking out. And now, now Israel and Syria are joining together against me. And so you know what I need to do? He goes and finds the king of Assyria. Now, Syria and Assyria are different here. And he goes to the king of Assyria, and he says, Syria and Egypt, they're, they're, Assyria and Israel, they're coming against me. I need help. I can't stand alone. And he's right. He couldn't stand alone. But he goes over and he gets the king of Assyria and says, I need to make a pact with you so that you will stand with me and we can fight them together. So he has so much faith that he turn, turns to a Gentile pagan nation and then stands before God when God keeps saying, listen, you don't need to stress this. You don't need to worry about this. They're going to be gone. But he couldn't trust that. He goes to Assyria and gets their help and then stands before God and says, oh no, I cannot ask a sign. I will not tempt the Lord. I'm a man of faith. Sure. Sure. King Ahaz shook so much in fear that instead of turning to God, he turned to Assyria. So God sends Isaiah in with another message. I'm so thankful that when I read the Bible, I see a theme throughout Scripture, and God never gives people like just one chance. I'm thankful that he keeps sending a word. He keeps having a preacher stand up and a prophet stand up, and the word being come. He keeps reaching to us. He keeps telling, and that's why we say, oh, Lord, I messed up again. He knows. That's why he keeps reaching to us. Thankful for grace. And he sends in Isaiah with another word. And this time, Isaiah brings his own son, his physical son, named Sher Jashub. Sher Jashub. You think you got an interesting name. How would you like? Oh, honey, we, it's a boy. We're naming him Sher Jashub. But that name means a remnant shall return. Because even though Isaiah is dealing with, and this is another incredible thing about the Bible, even though Isaiah is dealing with the situation at hand, he's walking in before King Ahaz and he's addressing Syria and Israel and, and he's dealing with the things there. A lot of times today people will argue with you theologians, oh yes, but that scripture doesn't point to the spirit, that scripture doesn't point to a, a Jesus being born, that scripture doesn't point to this. This is talking about Isaiah and his son. You're absolutely right. This is what's incredible about Scripture. God will inspire someone in the Old Testament. They'll, they'll be talking about the, the situation at hand, but then prophetically it also is dealing with something that's coming on the horizon thousands of years down the road. And we see this with Isaiah because he walks in with his son, and he starts talking to King Ahaz, but then a powerful prophetic spirit comes upon him, and he sees another son thousands of years down the road, one that would be the most amazing sign to the people of God. And look at Isaiah seven thirteen. It says, then Isaiah said, listen well, you royal family of David, isn't it enough to exhaust human patience? Must you exhaust? The patience of my God is well. By the way, I'm going to try that in a counseling session sometime. 
to say, listen, is it not enough to exhaust my patience? Must you exhaust the patience of God as well? I say it to myself, though, too. All right, then, he says, the Lord himself is going to give you a sign, Ahaz, whether you want it or not. He offered it to you. You could have chosen it. But now he's going to do something so incredible, so supernatural. He says a virgin's going to give birth to a baby. Excuse me? Yeah. A virgin is going to give birth to a baby. And we're going to, that, that baby's name is going to be Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. By the time this child, notice he took his son with him. By the time this child is old enough to choose what's right and reject what's wrong, the people, you're going to be, they're going to be eating yogurt and honey, which you don't eat yogurt and honey in exile. For before that child's old, the child's old, the lands of the two kings you fear are going to be deserted. You're stressing about something. You're making pacts with, with, with Gentile pagan nations. And I'm telling you, just like I've been saying all along, you're worrying about something you don't have to worry about. By the time this child's old, those two nations are going to be gone. But in the midst of dealing with his son and talking about that, because guess what happens? By the time his son is old, Syria and Israel are completely destroyed. Destroyed. And so he was absolutely dealing with the situation on hand. But in the middle of that, he says, a virgin's going to conceive one day. And, it, and that virgin's going to bring forth a son. And his name is going to be Emmanuel. And then you go over to the book of Matthew chapter 1. And, and people will say, well, yeah, yeah. But the virgin, you know what the actual name means. That's an unmarried woman. And, and he was talking about his son there. But no, no, no. You go to book of Matthew and look what Matthew says about this. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was was engaged to be married to Joseph, but the, before the marriage took place, she was still a virgin, and she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, he didn't want to embarrass her. He says, I'm going to put her away publicly in this engagement, and so as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her is conceived of the Holy Spirit. She's going to have a son, and you're going to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then Matthew says, all of this happened so that the prophecy might be fulfilled, which says, a virgin will conceive and bring forth a son. Matthew viewed Jesus' birth as the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy when he stood before Ahaz. That's why the book, the Bible, is unlike any book written in history. It's filled with so many prophecies. And so Isaiah, under the unction of God's Spirit, stands there and he starts laying this out, dealing with Ahaz and Shir Jashub and talking about his own son. But when that Spirit came upon him, he prophesied about something coming thousands of years later. And so, just what God did. Just, he, just what he said. He said, don't need to worry about Syria. Don't need to worry about Israel. Israel's gone by 722. Syria's gone by 732. Well, King Ahaz reigned from 731 to 715 B.C. So for the last portion of his reign, he didn't even have to deal with Israel and with Syria. You know, he probably is feeling like, see, I led us through a great trial. I made a, I made a pact with Assyria. And I'm at a great, great trial, and all is well. But by 701, 
his son Hezekiah takes the throne. And King Hezekiah was reigning, and guess what happens? Israel's gone. Syria's gone. But Assyria is still around. And Assyria starts making her way down the coast and defeating nation after nation. And Assyria finally attacks Judah. And now Assyria, I'm getting some crackling in my monitor, but. And now Assyria is marching down and, and getting ready to take over Jerusalem. And so guys, guess what happens now? Ahaz's son. Hezekiah now is forced to deal with some things that his daddy never took care of. And as a church, we can hope that things just go away and we can try to ignore things. But I'll tell you this, our kids are going to have to take care of spiritual battles that we don't take care of ourselves. Some of the things that you've been allowing to stick around in your life and in your home. And you say, well, some days are better than others. Some weeks are better than others. I, I do better for a little while, but not. You think that that'll just go away? No, no, no. Some of the things that you are unable and unwilling to try to take care of in your home right now, your children are eventually going to have to deal with those same things. It doesn't end with you. Isaiah 36 and 1 says, In the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, King Sennacherib of Assyria came to attack the fortified towns of Judah and conquer them. Doesn't this sound familiar? This is exactly what was taking place with his daddy, with Ahaz. God wanted to give Ahaz and Judah total victory and peace. But instead of turning to God during a time of fear and unrest... Uh, Ahaz turns to Assyria. Are you waiting for me? I'm going to set this down. It's not doing it as bad right now. It still happens in the church today. Now, we're not facing a, an Assyria. We're not facing a, a Syria or an Israel. But you know what happens during times of fear and loneliness, depression, fatigue, and discouragement? God will tell his church, turn to me. I got this. You don't need to stress. You don't need to worry. But what will we do? It's like the acronym, if you talk to people, I've listened to seminars when people struggle with addiction and, and, and the, the, the acronym BLAST, bored, lonely, angry, stressed, and tired. You know when people will typically turn to something or someone else, it's at times of being bored, lonely, angry, stressed, and tired. And it's not just sinful things, it's not just, oh yeah, because you know what we'll do sometimes, people turn to relationships and they turn to sex and they turn to drugs and alcohol and career even. It's not even just sinful things. Because you know what we'll do? Is we'll pour ourselves into career. We'll pour ourselves into schooling. Well, schooling's not a sin. What's wrong? You encourage us to get an education. Absolutely. But when we get to the point, I've seen people who, you know what? Sometimes they let the things into their lives and say, well, yeah, this is a good thing. And, and this, is, this is a positive thing. And so they pour themselves into career. Pour themselves into school. But sometimes the very things that you turn to in times of fear and anxiety are the same things that I've seen destroy many a people. 
And so he, his daddy, he says, I'm going to turn to Assyria. And, and Assyria ain't going to cause no problem. They got my back. This is a source of comfort. This is something that helps me out. But you know what? That's not where God told them to turn. God said, put me first. I'll take care of everything. Turn to me. I'm the one that will take care of everything. Put your trust and faith and confidence in me. But what do we do sometimes? We start to look to someone else and something else. And we pour ourselves into various things instead of taking care of Assyria. Instead of saying, God, no, I trust you. And then the things that we invite into our home and into our lives, those are the very things that can destroy us later in life. And he says, God says to Ahaz, he says, you don't need to look elsewhere. I'm, I want to take care of you. Like we see here with Ahaz and then his son Hezekiah, sometimes the very things we turn to are the exact things that can destroy us if we ignore the pleas of God. And, I, and over and over, God sends people, and this is still this way in churches across America and the world today. There are preachers standing all over the nation and the world right now. There are people who are standing here pleading with congregations to just trust God, to just come to an altar, to repent, to walk away from sinful things, to just, to just know that God's got it. He's got your situation. You don't have to stress. And there are people, men and women, preaching messages right now, pleading with people. In congregations. But like Ahaz, there's a lot of people that are going, yeah, no, oh, that's good, that's interesting, yeah, I'm not, no, I, I, I got this, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to test the Lord, my God. And then they walk out of buildings, and they go to relationships, and they turn back to alcohol, and they turn back to substances, and they turn and just pour themselves into career, and, and they just try to ignore the fact that, that God's saying, no, turn to me, turn to me. Watch what I can do. Because eventually the time comes where you have to choose what do you trust more than anything. That Assyrian chief, he tried to intimidate. I'm not saying that when you go through things. That's just not a big deal. You know, you, you talk to people sometimes and they mean well and you 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 bear your heart and you talk about all the challenges and the struggles and, and people just go, well, all you need is just, just trust God. You're like, did you hear anything I just said? And sometimes we say these things because we're uncomfortable with listening and dealing. You know, you, sometimes it's hard. Silence is difficult. It's uncomfortable at times. And so we listen in silence. I tell our small group facilitators this all the time and I'll tell our small group, well, I'll say, I'm not, silence doesn't make me uncomfortable. I'll sit here and stare at you and wait for you to talk for the rest of the night. Because somebody says something and they say, I'm going through it. This is what I'm struggling with. And then we're like, um, uh, we'll just pray. Trust God. Because, like, we're uncomfortable. We don't know what else to say. And we should trust God. But sometimes we just listen. Sometimes we just cry with people. You don't have to have an answer. Because some, some of the times we're going to go through things and, and what you're going through is a very real thing. No doubt there's people in this congregation or watching online, you're going through very real things. It doesn't matter if anybody else thinks it's real. It's real. It's real to you. And so there's a, there's a struggle and there can be fear and anxiety. Don't tell me that it's not a struggle when 120,000 people have died and the enemy is surrounding your camp and shouting things to the people of the city and sending letters to the king. Don't, this is a stressful time. 
As he's trying to go, what am I supposed to do? What's next? I, I, I'm uncertain. And so now Hezekiah is in the throne. Ahaz is gone. And the Assyrian chief is trying to intimidate the citizens of Judah, King Hezekiah, the leadership team. When you read through the 36th chapter of Isaiah, he stood on a hillside and he shouted threats. He tried to get them to question their leadership, their internal strength, their resources, their abilities, their future, and even their God. And the enemy still tries these same tactics today. When it seems like there's chaos all around you and you're tempted to look other places for peace and other places for victory, the enemy will use outside voices to try to get you to question your leadership, your internal strength, your resources, your abilities, your future, and even your God, whether he really cares and listens. And so, I mean, imagine the people, they're looking out and they see themselves surrounded and they're, 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 they're inside these city walls of Jerusalem and they're going, uh, Hezekiah, there's people, uh, Hezekiah, more people just got here. Uh, Hezekiah, he just sent another message. Uh, Heather, Hezekiah, um, here, here's another letter that he sent and, and you're just sitting here going, um, and, and, and you're tempted in moments like this when there's stress and anxiety and frustration and depression and, and uncertainty and you start going, man, I just don't know if church is the end. I just don't know if my God, I'm praying, he's not, he's not doing it. I don't see results. But now what, is, what does Hezekiah do? Because we know what his daddy did. His daddy said, well, i got to make something happen. I'm going to go to Assyria. God was trying to convince everyone to put their trust in him, but daddy wouldn't do it. He went and formed an alliance with a pagan nation that now... His children and grandchildren have to deal with. But what does Hezekiah do? In Isaiah 37, 1, when Hezekiah heard the report, he tore his clothes. He put on burlap. And he went into the temple of the Lord. I don't know. I don't know about you, but sometimes when stuff happens in my life, that's not my response. Show me in Scripture where Hezekiah speaks one word after something like this happens. The enemy comes up, shouts something, they send a letter, they threaten, the fear is high, the anxiety is high, the depression, the discouragement, the morale of the people, it's all high, it's, it, the morale's low and everything else is high. And Hezekiah doesn't even respond, he doesn't even utter a word. All he does is, heads to the temple. even now, silence is uncomfortable. You're wondering, how long am I going to stay at this altar? It's the awkward silence. We're so uncomfortable with silence. If I stood here for another, if I sat here for another 30 seconds, it would feel like 10 minutes to you. But he says, I'm going to go into the temple of the Lord. Because when troubles presented themselves to Ahaz, he turned to Assyria. When troubles presented themselves to Hezekiah, he went to the temple. This life 
This life is going to shake you to the core at times. If you came into a church and you thought, if I just serve God, I won't have problems, let me know if you find that church. I might go there too. It will shake you to the core. You will suffer loss. You will suffer fatigue. You will suffer discouragement. You will suffer people saying things about you behind your back in front of you. You will suffer pain, emotional anguish. You will suffer at times in this life. Even in the New Testament, it says the, the, the storms blew and it hit both people, one who built his house on the sand and the rock. Sure, we're building our house on the rock, but the storm still hits. It still blows in that house that you live in, that spiritual house when you say, it seems like it just keeps raining and raining. And I'm just talking about Missouri weather here. I'm talking about spiritual the hail keeps beating on the shingles. It seems like I can't even go out. It seems like I'm stuck here. I, I don't know what to do. The storm is raging. But God says, you built your house on the rock. Trust the foundation. Trust the foundation. It might seem like everything's going wrong. The enemy's advancing. Nothing seems to be working. Distractions are mounting when this happens. Where do you turn? Where do you turn? Do you turn to a substance right away? Do you turn to a relationship? Do you call immediately those closest to you? Do you start to complain about the situation to everyone around you? It's interesting sometimes when I hear people, I wish God, God doesn't, God, and they complain about God, and I say, have you talked to him about it? No. If my wife went around this church complaining about me and she didn't even tell me what the complaints were, man, I'd be furious. Imagine God as he's like, oh, that's interesting. I knew it happened. I had it in my plan. But he hasn't even told me about that. But he's complaining about me to everyone else. Where do you turn? You respond like Hezekiah, where sometimes something happens and you don't speak one word, but you just say, got to get to the temple. I got to get to an altar. The best thing for us to do when we're scared and frustrated is to get alone with God and maybe to speak the word of the psalm. In Psalm chapter 12, or Psalm 121, it says, I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He won't let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. There's times in my life where I've said, God, dispatch angels. Let the angels worship with us in service today. God, I pray, send a band of angels and protect my home. But every once in a while, something happens. I say, God, I know I pray this a lot, but tonight, please don't send the angels. I'm asking for the mighty King of kings and the Lord of lords. God, I'm asking that you yourself would come and just take your hand and put it around my home. That you would touch my family, Jesus. God, I'm praying that for a divine visitation today. Lord, don't just send the angelic host today. Jesus, I need you. 
And it says, he won't let you stumble. He watches over you. He doesn't slumber. He watches over Israel, never slumbers or sleeps. The Lord himself, the Lord himself will watch over you. The Lord stands as, beside you as your protective shade. You ever been in the heat of the Missouri summer and you're just out in the middle of nowhere and, just, and it's just so bright and hot. And then all of a sudden there's, there's that, that, that patio, that covering, that shelter. And you're just like, oh, I'm out of the sun. Hallelujah. A picture that is God says, life, the, the climate's turned up and it's hot and things are frustrating. But God says, I got you. I'm going to be your shade. He says, he stands by you. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go both now and forever. Hear me, child of God. There is nothing going on in your life right now that God is not aware of. There is nothing that makes him nervous nervous and afraid. There's nothing that has surprised him. There's nothing that has caught him off guard. But the question becomes, where will you turn? Because these things are going to come. And you're either going to say, I need to get to the altar of the temple. Or I'm going to call my friend. Or I'm going to look for it in a relationship. Or in a physical relationship. Or I'm going to go to a substance. And I'm going to go, which one are you choosing? Because as I, as I sang this, as we sang this song, this more, but Jim, go to that second song, please. As we sang this second song from this morning, just look at the words. God of Abraham, you're the God of covenant and faithful promises time and time again. You have proven Sometimes people say about faith, faith is like looking forward and, and trying to walk with God. Like it's, like it's this blind belief that we're just like, okay, I'm going to close my eyes and I pray to God I can make it back to that back door and not whack my knee on these chairs. And so here we go, here goes nothing. I was hoping I was, I knew I was about in your spot. I was hoping I wasn't going to kick you. And, and we think that's, you know, what a, you know what a lot of faith is, though? Faith isn't just looking forward. Faith is looking backward. What? What did you just say? Faith is looking backward and saying, you know what? I'm facing something that I am, I'm, I'm, I'm scared to death. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm afraid. I'm dealing with depression and anxiety and frustration. I don't know what to do. And sometimes you just stop and you say, but, but I remember. I remember this time when I went through this. And I remember another time where I didn't know how that was going to work out. But, and I remember, oh, wow. There's a reason why God in Old Testament, he said, get some stones 
build a monument, build an altar there. The altar wasn't just for sacrifice. It was for a memorial so that they could travel and say, hey, Dad, what happened here? Oh, son, let me tell you something. Let me tell you about the time when we were in Egypt and God sent plagues. Let me tell you the time we went through the Red Sea and God parted the sea so we could walk through on dry ground. Well, what about this one? Oh, that's actually the Jordan River because he did it again. What about this one? Oh, it was huge walled cities called Jer Jericho, but God knocked them all down when we began to shout and worship. And so, and so the, the, it's passed on to the next generation when they say, oh, there's another memorial. What what God do there? There's another memorial. What God do there? There's another memorial. What did God do there? So sometimes when you get to this point in your life and you're going, I don't know, you don't have to have the answer, but you can look backwards and say, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken. And, and I have personal testimony when he brought me through this and he provided for me here and he set me free there and he did this for my dad and he did this for my children and he did this at my job and God, he, he did all these things. So guess what? I can get back on the path and I can say, I have no clue where I'm going to go, but I can go in faith because I've been walking this way for more than a week and I know that God has brought me through things time and time again and I don't have to stress. I don't have to fear. I'm on a firm foundation. Why? Because you have proven over and over again that you will do just what you said. Keep going. And he says, though the storms may come, it's going to come. And the winds may blow. I'll remain steadfast. And let my heart learn. When you speak a word, it will come to pass. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness to me, O oh God. Keep going. From the rising sun to the setting same, I will praise your name. Great is your faithfulness to me. God, from age to age, though the earth may pass away, your word remains the same. It's unchanging. It, in history, can there it is again. Oh, I'm, I don't know what's coming, but I can look back again and say, I look at the history. I look at the precedent that God has set in my life, and he has never let me down. I'm still here. I'm still worshiping. I'm still faithful. Oh, I've gone through some things, but history proves that I can make it again. I put my faith in Jesus my anchor to the ground, my firm foundation. He will never let me down. Great is your faithfulness to me, O oh God. Oh, church, as I close this message, the king of Assyria, he kept pressing and he kept pushing because if you think that, see, God trusts you enough that he develops things in you. That's why in 
week one of serving him, your battles are going to look a little bit different because as you go on, he knows he ain't going to get you with the same things he got you in in week one of serving God. The battle intensifies. And so he comes at you with more artillery and barrages you with more things. And so and so he comes at you and, and Assyria keeps pressing. If you thought, I just, I, I spent a day at the temple. I, I fasted that one day. Why is this still bothering me? You better understand that if there is a strong in your life, it's because you've allowed it to be there for a long time. And so it might take a little bit of battle, a little bit of fortitude, a little bit of strength. And, and, but you're not the one fighting the battle. You're just the one that's saying, I'm resisting. The devil's fleeing and I'm remaining faithful to his promise. And so Assyria, that king, he kept pressing and he sent another letter to King Hezekiah filled with threats and deadly words. And what's Hezekiah going to do this time? We know what he did last time, but what's he going to do this time? Well, let's read. After Hezekiah received the letter, no doubt maybe there was fear, anxiety, tears, we don't know. But he received that letter and what did he do? He did the same thing he did last time. Tell me what he said. Tell me who he called. Tell me, tell me what, what words came out of his mouth. Same as the last time. He took the letter and he headed back to the temple. And what did he do? He spread it out before the Lord. Spread it out, God. You know what's going on in my life. You know what they're saying about me. You know what they're threatening, God. You know what I'm dealing with, Jesus. You know what I'm going through. Here's, here's all the things. I'm just going to lay it out before you. And he went to the temple and he spread it out and he laid it out before God. So church, what is in your life today? Then you need to get to an altar and lay out before. What are you going through that's causing fear and stress and anxiety and depression and discouragement? And what is it that you can bring to an altar that maybe, you know what, I complained about it. I talked to people about it. I've looked other places for fulfillment and peace. And I've tried to look to Assyria. And, and now it seems like Assyria has turned against me. And I've gotten myself in a mess. But I don't want my kids and grandkids to have to deal with the things that I refuse to deal with. So I can't, I got to come and I got to lay it out before the Lord this morning. His daddy turned to Assyria. Hezekiah turned to God. One resulted in an ongoing war and tension that wouldn't go away, and the other resulted in this. Isaiah 37. Isaiah gets a word from God, and he comes to Hezekiah. I'm thankful. See, sometimes we get stressed out because God doesn't speak as fast as we want him to. He had to come to the temple multiple times, but Isaiah shows up and says, Hezekiah, this is what God said. Because you prayed. We're going to read the rest, but it doesn't really matter. When the statement starts off with, because you prayed. Not because you're a strong military leader. You're trained in battle. Because you have great generals. Because now you outnumber the enemy. Now you have strategic plans. It's been, no, no, now you have the resources and the finances. And you have great walls. And, and no, 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 no. It's just 
I got a word from God, Hezekiah. Hezekiah, because you prayed. Because you prayed. This is what God says. Because you prayed about King Sennacherib of Assyria. He says, the Lord has spoken this word against him. The virgin daughter of Zion despises you and laughs at you. The daughter of Jerusalem shakes her head in derision as you flee. Whom have you been defying and ridiculing? Against whom did you raise your voice? Whom did you look at with such haughty eyes? It wasn't Ahaz. It wasn't Hezekiah. It wasn't anything in your life. It was against the Holy One of Israel. You need to understand that the enemy, it's not your fight, it's not your battle. When you're a child of the king and you are filled with his spirit and you, you build your foundation on the rock, that everything that comes against you, it's your battle, God. My life is in your hands. You're the one that controls us. I'm, not, I'm just the one that needs to resist and stay faithful and get to an altar and say, God, I don't know what your timetable is, but I trust you. I don't know how you're going to work this out, but I trust you. I don't know what the end result's going to be, but I trust you, God. Folks, I want you to know that prayer is the most powerful weapon at your disposal. It's nothing else. The most powerful thing is prayer, is when you can connect to the divine, supernatural, powerful creator of the world who sees and knows all things. Prayer isn't just an ally. It's not it's a prayer. It's not, we're not just looking to turn to someone else. When we go to prayer, we're directly connecting to the most divine and powerful powerful force in the history of the world. So as I close this message, ask yourself as you stand to your feet, ask yourself, when trouble comes my way, where do I go? When trouble comes my way and things don't go the way I want, who am I turning to? Where do I go first? Because the battle is not yours. It's the Lord's, and I'm wondering how many people in just 60 seconds here are going to be able to come with this in just your situation and just lay it out before the Lord at an altar. And how many, how many people that God wants to do something here today where he will say, you know what? I don't know if it'll be two weeks from now, two months from now, two years from now, but on that Memorial Day weekend, on that Sunday morning, because you prayed, because you prayed. I met your need. I answered your prayer. I healed. I set free. I delivered. I did what only I could do. If you, because you prayed, and if you think this is a magical thing where you just drop up here and get everything you want, Isaiah or Hezekiah had to go to that altar and he had to lay things out multiple times before God. So if your faithfulness is only dictated based on how fast God responds, you might as well not even come. But when you say, God, I'm going to keep laying it out until you work. I'm not going to, Lord, take away this fear and this anxiety and this stress. I'm laying it out, and I know that one day, I don't know when it's going to be, but I know that one day you're going to say, my child, because you prayed, because you prayed, because you prayed, because you prayed. So I invite you this morning to find an altar, to bring the needs to the temple, to lay them out before the Lord this morning, to just spread them out and say, God, I need this now. Lord, you know what the situation is. You know what I'm going through. You know the stress and the fear and the anxiety. 
you know the depression and the discouragement. God, you know what I'm facing, Lord, but I know that I trust you, and if I will just give myself to this altar and just lay it out before you, I know that you got this. I know I don't need to worry and stress and fear, God.
Turn it. 